Hi, I'm Marissa Bennett. The Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 49:22 through 25. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Look, I will raise my hand to the nations. I will raise my signal flag to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their shoulders. Kings will be your children's guardians. Their princesses will nurse your children. With their faces to the ground, they will bow down to you, and they will lick the dirt on your feet. Then you will recognize that I am the Lord. Those who wait patiently for me are not put to shame. Can spoils be taken from a warrior, or captives be rescued from a conqueror? Indeed, says the Lord, captives will be taken from a warrior, spoils will be rescued from a conqueror. I will oppose your adversary, and I will rescue your children. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Maddie, and the New Testament reading is found in Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. The word of the Lord. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading. My name is Martha McLeod. The reading is found in Mark chapter 3, verses 22 to 30. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit uh, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you today. Come and let your word challenge us and convict us. And Holy Spirit, we want you to change us today. We want to see Jesus in the, it with fresh eyes. We want our hearts to be made new today. We want your word to take root in us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we're in week four here on our series through the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel according to Mark. And uh, we said early on, right from the beginning, that Mark 
um, is, a, is an interesting gospel because of, of, for several reasons. One, uh, it is very likely the earliest of all the four gospels written somewhere in the A.D. 60s. Um, it's also the sparsest of the gospels, if you will. It's got very few um, little insights or clues. It's not theological like John's gospel. It doesn't tell us right from the get-go all the stuff to think about Jesus. Uh, it doesn't have all of the Jewish backdrop that Matthew has or the elaborate detail that Luke has. Mark is sparse, and he's sparse because it's a little bit like the raw story, and he wants us to join in and kind of come to our conclusion about who this Jesus is. So Mark doesn't censor things. He shows us the disciples failing miserably to recognize who Jesus is. He shows us that people's reactions toward Jesus are sometimes awe and amazement and sometimes fear and astonishment and saying, we're afraid. Mark is trying to help us recognize that people have not had a category for Jesus. They, they, they're not quite sure where to fit him in. Mark also uses this word immediately 42 times in his short little gospel. In fact, more than half of the times that word is used in the New Testament, more than half of those times show up in this little book. It's Mark's way of keeping the action moving. It's fast-paced, you know. It's, it's like a Michael Bay movie or something. I mean, it's just like things are blowing up left and right. It, it just keeps moving and pressing on. And in fact, many scholars think that the way Mark is written is rather like a play, like a Greek or Roman play. And so it's helpful. We've been going through this series, imagining each week as like an episode. And so in episode one, we saw Mark kind of reveal Jesus a little clue and to say, behold, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we talked about what that means, sonship, to be the Son of God. And and then in week two, we talked about Jesus, the healer, his authority. Authority now extends over sickness and even to forgive sins. In week three, last week, we talked about Jesus running into conflict with religious leaders, Jesus the scandalous, and how his conflict with these leaders really should create a little bit of turbulence in our own heart about our comfortable opinions about whom to reach and whom to show mercy to and whom not to. This week, the conflict continues. In this week's episode, we see a Jesus who's now, his, the conflict with him extends to a really intimate sphere of relationships. It extends into his family. His family, in the scenes right before the text that we heard read this morning, his own family says, Jesus has lost his mind. Literally, they're saying the guy has gone mad and we need to restrain him physically. That's what they've said. And then in the scene that we're going to look at today, just this one scene for the whole episode, is where religious leaders say their most dramatic claim about Jesus. Before they said he was blaspheming, well, that's, that's bad enough. Now, in this week's episode, the religious leaders are saying, Jesus is downright evil. He's in league with the devil. He's dangerous. I don't know if you've heard people talk about religion in our culture at large, But there is a sense in which people are very nervous about religion. And maybe because of certain uh, fanaticism or extremism. And so all of a sudden, even Christianity then comes under the, the microscope. And people say, look, there's no denying Christianity's influence. It's influential, but we're not sure if it's good. And so people say, yeah, you know, our culture has the seeds of Christianity in it. But do you know... 
is it really good or is it dangerous? Because after all, look what religion does and look what you know, Christianity does. Any kind of extremism, this has to be dangerous. Mark wants us to know that this has been happening since day one. People have been looking at Jesus from the beginning and saying, this guy, careful, he's in league with the devil. This is dangerous. This is evil. Jesus is part of what is wrong with the world. Of course, this is a very serious claim. And so we're going to look at this story a little bit more closely and see what Mark wants us to wrestle with today. If you've got your Bibles or your phones, Mark 3, verse 22 is where we're going to start. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he called them, he called them to him and said to them in parables, Jesus now knows that they're saying this. He calls them to himself and he says, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. Who is this Beelzebul character? Some people say, oh, isn't it Beelzebub? It's the Lord of the Flies. And, uh, and, and scholars have said, no, look, there, there's the, the most reasonable explanation of who this character is, is it's a reference to Baal. Now, if you've read some of the Old Testament stories, you'll know that the chief rival to Israel's God is Baal. So we sang a song this morning that referenced Yahweh. That's the name, the covenant name of the God of Israel, the God Almighty. But his rival, quote unquote, among other nations, was called Baal. And so when they reference this Beelzebul, it's a, it's a character that means Baal's the prince or Baal's dynasty, Baal's house in the heavenlies. It's a way of saying, oh, you're in league with the Baal who is over all, kind of an arch demon, if you will the ruler over a dynasty of demons. And then they start to, they start to also say Satan. And, and there's, no, there's no reference in Jewish literature that Satan is called Beelzebul, but you can see the, the two things starting to come together here. One of the reasons for that is because in the Old Testament, when they talked about false gods, they said, okay, that's just a block of wood or that's just a block of stone, but really the, the power behind it is demonic. Paul even says that. He says, look, these are demons we're talking about here, not their spirits. And Satan in Jewish literature is at first just kind of a generic term, the, an accuser. It eventually becomes a, a proper name, but it also kind of has the sense of the one who opposes God and the people of God. In other words, if we're to say the, the bottom line about this is they're saying, Jesus, you're part of the enemy. You're the problem. You're the one that accuses and opposes God and the people of God. You're evil. You're dangerous. Now, the first problem in this text for us, perhaps, is even believing that there is such a thing as a strong man or a Satan or the demonic. So let's say this right up front. There is a strong man. And for all, for all of us, we're in, the, you know, we're in the 21st century West 
We don't know if we really believe this. I grew up in Malaysia. There's a lot of comfort where people are talking about uh, the spiritual or the supernatural. There was uh, maybe evidence from time to time of the demonic. And so it's easier perhaps in certain settings to think, yeah, yeah, there's demonic. It's right over there and there and there. I mean, you can see it, witchcraft and on and on. But then when you come to our civilized context or quote unquote civilized context, so we don't have any demons here in America, you know. So there's, there's, no, there's no devil. We just have problems. We have systematic injustices. We have structural violence. We have oppression. We, we, we don't have... Don't say demons. That's superstitious. C.S. Lewis, in his introduction to Screwtape Letters, said, there are two equal and opposite errors that human beings can come to when talking about devils or demons. One is to disbelieve in it entirely, and the other is to obsess over it and to sort of look for it everywhere. And he says, look, the devil himself is thrilled to find people who are either materialists or full-on magicians. You're into all of the superstitions, or you're into none of it. You're like, no, 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 there's, there's no truth to this. Either way, you're not taking it quite seriously. Perhaps there's a way that would help us look more closely at this. To say there is a strong man or a Satan is basically to say that the world is broken beyond human repair. It's a way of saying the thing that is wrong with the world is not just the lack of education or the lack of this or the lack of that or structures or systems or politics. There's actually something fundamentally wrong with the world. Now, Maybe from your chair or my, my chair, that might be hard to see. So I, I, don't, I don't think that's true, Glenn. I think we could solve the problems if we just, and then you fill in the blank. But if you talk to people who've been closest to the brokenness of the world, talk to men and women who've served in, in military conflict and seen violence and the irrationalness behind some violence in the world, if you talk to people who give their lives to care for the broken or for the hurting or to feed the hungry or work with foreign aid, and you'll hear them say, you know what, we're doing the best that we can, but man, we keep running up against this bear. We can't get to something below it. There's something deeper that is wrong with... To say there is a strong man or a Satan is really to say, look, it's good to look at layers of wrong in the world, okay? I'll give you an example. We've gotten good as a, as a national conversation. We've gotten good at looking at injustice, not just in individual isolated acts. And so that was unjust or that was a, an instance of racism or racial. And then we've, we've gotten good at saying there's a level below it. There's a systematic kind of oppression here or there's a systematic injustice that actually needs to, the deck needs to be reshuffled. And so that, that's, that's fine. But there's actually, we would say, one more layer down. And that is to say there is an enemy that animates all of the structures and powers of the world that actually works against us. Something that we can't quite get to, that all of the education and political reform, all of the changes we can make, all of the changes of laws and this and that, just there's something evil that we can't quite force a change into. To believe that there is a strong man is to say the world is broken beyond human repair. There's something deeper here. But Mark, in this story, wants us to see that, yes, there is a strong man, but Jesus is stronger. 
Yes, there is a strong man, but Jesus is stronger. In the first chapter, Mark 1, verse 7, John the Baptist says, look, the one coming after me is greater than me. It's that same word, stronger. It's almost like Mark has kind of said, hey, here's a hint early on. Jesus, the one who's coming after me, is stronger. And then a couple chapters later, Jesus will talk about a strong man being bound and his house being plundered. And you're saying, who, who, who can defeat the strong man? Isaiah said it in the Old Testament reading this morning. Can captives be rescued from a conqueror? And Jesus says the answer is yes. Because, yeah, there's a strong man But Jesus says, I am stronger. I am the stronger one. Yes, there's a strong man, but Jesus is stronger. Yeah, there's a conqueror that has besieged us and attacked us and is behind everything that is dark and wrong in the world, and yet Jesus is stronger. I like the way Paul in Colossians 2 says, Talking about Jesus on the cross, he says, when he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he exposed them to public disgrace by leading them in a triumphal parade. In case you're wondering how to picture this, a triumphal parade is when the victorious one would bind the one he had conquered and lead them through to humiliate them to, so that all the citizens of that city that had lived under this guy's oppression would say, you're free now. You're free now. This tyrant no longer ruins your life. This oppressor no longer keeps you under his thumb. This strong man has been bound. Paul uses this language. I love all the imagery in Isaiah. It's a little bit gory if you read more of Isaiah 49, our Old Testament reading. I selected a a fairly... uh, um, you know, um, sanitized few verses, but if you read the rest of it, it's a little bit gory. Because the best Isaiah could do is imagine it in human terms of saying, look, we've been plundered by the nations, but there's going to be a Messiah, there's going to be a chosen king who will rescue the captives, and our sons will be carried back, and our daughters will ride on the shoulders of princes and be brought back into our land. Look, the oppressor will not reign forever. And Paul says, yeah, yeah, Isaiah got a glimpse of it, but it's not, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against these strongholds. And it's Jesus who's come, who's disarmed the rulers and authorities, exposing them to public disgrace. Why? So that all of us can know, look, the strong man has been bound. Now, if you're reading this text, you're thinking, now, wait a minute, Glenn, how has the strong man been bound? Paul's referencing the cross, but in Mark's story, the cross hasn't happened yet. Jesus is using these these analogies, this metaphoric language to say, look, when the strong man's bound, you can plunder his house. So if you see me healing the sick and, 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 and casting out demons, you should know the strong man has been bound. And, there's, and you might be reading that and thinking, well, where? where when, when did that happen? Early in Mark's narrative, right after Jesus' baptism, he says the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tested by the devil, and then Jesus emerged. Now, this may mean nothing to you, but this is a powerful scene. It's kind of like when you see a scene in a movie that references another, the prequel or those episodes that came before it, and you're like, I know this scene. I know what's going to happen here, except it changes. You see, Israel was led through the wilderness for 40 years to be tested. But guess what happened to them? They ended up worshiping a golden calf. 
They failed. Who is so strong that they could go into the wilderness and be tested and tempted and be under the onslaught of the devil and somehow survive it? Who is stronger than the enemy? Mark says, Jesus is. Jesus is. Jesus goes into the wilderness, endures the, the, ten, the testings and the temptations, and yet emerges victorious. It's Jesus' way of saying, look, his downfall has already begun. Yes, it will culminate at the cross, but his defeat has already begun. The best illustration of this to me is Harry Potter. I love the Harry Potter stories. I think they, care, they remind me of that one great story. And you'll notice, you'll recall, that the opening chapter is called The Boy Who Lived. And right from the beginning, we're told that there's this dark evil in the world. He who cannot be named, he who must not be named, Voldemort. <sighs> Don't say it. And then nobody has ever survived his fatal blow except one, the boy who lived. And from the beginning, you're thinking, wait a minute. If this boy survived the blow from the enemy, might he also grow up to be the one who strikes a blow to the enemy? I don't know. You'll have to keep reading. <laughs> but this is what Mark, this is exactly what Mark is doing. See, I, I think J.K. Rowling just ripped off the Gospels because this is what Mark does. He says, look, the binding of the strong man begun by Jesus surviving the blow. But just you wait. He's going to deal a blow that will end it forever. End it forever. The strong man has been bound. I think when you, when you think of it that way, it changes, it maybe changes the way you, you think about spiritual warfare. Some of you, that phrase is totally foreign. Like, what is spiritual warfare? Others of you, you're like, oh, I, I know. It's, it's when we kind of do battle in prayer and all this stuff. Look, I get it. I think there's something wonderful about saying, yes, we have authority over, over everything else, uh, all the other rulers, but I want you to know from this story, it is not the followers of Jesus who bind the strong man. It's Jesus himself. It's not the followers of Jesus who say, oh, Satan, I bind you. They don't do it. Jesus, in the, if, the, if the parable, if we're to make sense of the parable, Jesus is saying, I'm the one who's bound him. Now it's for us to plunder his house. That means that spiritual warfare is less about confronting demons and more about rescuing captives. I'll say it again. Spiritual warfare then is less about confronting demons and more about rescuing captives. It's about saying, like Evan told that story today, it's about saying to little Mariano, man, there's been an evil that has worked against you your life. And it's, it's left some bruises and some marks. And nobody knows what it feels like, but man, it's got to feel like you've been a captive in the strong man's house. And every act of kindness and of love and the simple thing of throwing birthday parties for these foster kids during that week of camp all of a sudden becomes a way of saying, I'm plundering the strong man's house. Hey, Hey, Mariano, the enemy has been bound. You're free. You're free to be loved. You're free to recognize the king is for you. You belong to him. That means every time, church, every time 
you welcome the stranger, every time you love your neighbor, every time you serve in the nursery or on the welcome team, you're doing spiritual warfare. You might not think of it that way. Like, oh, I don't understand. No, no, I want to fight demons. Like, no, that's not it. Remember, it's the gospel writers who say Jesus went about doing good and healing the sick, all the stuff. Every time we show the love of Christ to help bring people into wholeness, you're doing spiritual warfare. And that may look like taking a meal to a friend. That might look like inviting a neighbor over that you've never, that never had over to your house. That might look like serving in a new way. That might look like royal family kids. That might look like, like joining in a number of different things. But all of a sudden, every time we do that, we are joining the mission of Jesus to rescue those who were in the strong man's house. Because we're saying, Jesus has done it. Strong man is bound. It's for us now to come and say, hey, I got good news. I got good news. Remember the gospel. Mark begins it this way. He says, this is the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news. The gospel is a good news announcement, not a good advice program. So our job is not to go and find ways to fix and solve. Our job is to go and say, brother, I've got the best news of all, James. The strong man is bound, and you're rescued, brother. Come on, let's get out of this place. Let's get out of this old way. Let's get out of this life, brother. The strong man's bound. There's nothing else that can stand against you now. You're like, are you serious? That's the best news I've ever heard. You're right. It's called the gospel. Now, this story goes on to include some verses that has troubled Christians for years. And I wish we could just end the text and say, oh, there you go. That's it. Uh, Hallelujah. You know, except that very clearly, very, very obviously the story, the episode hasn't ended yet. There's one more scene and that's Jesus talking about this blaspheming the Holy Spirit and the unforgivable sin. Now, I don't know if you had a childhood like, like mine, you know, where you grew up in like Pentecostal preaching church where it was like there was a certain level of fear that was perhaps unhealthy. And, uh, and you read this verse and you thought, oh man, have I done that? Have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Maybe I really, maybe there's no hope for me. I just want to say right now, right now, with the authority of the Word of God and with all of this, the scholars I've, I've consulted on this text, if you're afraid that you've lost your salvation, you haven't. <laughs> if you're afraid that you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, you haven't. That very fear and tenderness is proof of it. Plus, <laughs> what Jesus is really saying and how this fits with the rest of the story is he's saying, don't make the mistake of misjudging who I am. Don't make the mistake of misjudging who I am. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit in the full context of the story is to say, Jesus, you're actually part of evil. You're not part of God and his work. And Jesus is saying, look, if you begin to call good evil and evil good, there's no more hope left. There's no more hope left. Isaiah said it in Isaiah 5. He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil and who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Look, if you're convinced that the rescuer is actually the oppressor, there's no more hope. So blaspheming the Holy Spirit is not like this higher up sin in the echelon of sins and God is like this loving grandpa, unless you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. 
and then he turns ugly, you know, sort of like, ooh, sorry, 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 sorry. You know, oh, too, too late for sorry. Like, oh, no, I'm damned forever. It's not that. What it is is Jesus is saying, look, if you confuse the work of the Spirit for the work of evil, how can you be rescued? It's very much, not perfectly, but very much like going in for a life-saving surgery and all of a sudden the anesthetic doesn't work and you wake up on the operating table and you look at the doctor with his knife and you're like, oh my God, this is a statistic murderer. He's trying to kill me. Look, he's cutting me open. And he's like, no, calm down. I'm here to save your life. And how many people look at Jesus and he's like, I'm here I'm here to save and to rescue. And we're like, no, no, you're not. You're just another dangerous religious person. I don't want you. I don't want you. Jesus says, look, if you get it wrong about who I am, if you get my identity wrong, there's no rescue apart from me. So the real question at the end of this episode is, who is Jesus? His family said he was a madman. Religious leaders said he was evil. And Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm the rescuer. I'm the rescuer, the stronger one. Who is he? In our age, when people are convinced that all religion is evil and dangerous and Christianity is the worst of them all, the question rings with particular poignance. Who is he? What we can eliminate for sure is all the nice little syrupy things we want to say about Jesus. He was a nice little guy, sort of a peasant farmer with a few wise sayings. Like, actually, if you read Mark's account, it's kind of raw, but that's not one of the options. Cute little teacher who wandered the hills like the Dalai Lama. C.S. Lewis decades ago said, if you read the Gospels and you trust that these stories are kind of the raw accounts that have been handed down, you're really only left with a couple of choices. Either Jesus is the craziest, worst liar, the most evil, sadistic liar, or he's a raving lunatic, or his claim to be Lord, the stronger one, is really true. Now, you may hear that and you think, well, I don't, I don't really know who C.S. Lewis is. I don't really care about C.S. Lewis. Right, sure. How about Bono? You know Bono? <laughs> Bono is the lead singer of that epic band, U2, that's changed the face of worship music for 20 years. No. <laughs> that's a little inside joke, right? Great rock star. In a recent interview a couple years ago, Bono spoke a bit more about his faith, and he said, Jesus was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So he either, in my view, was the Son of God or he was nuts. <laughs> Forget rock and roll messianic complexes. I mean Charlie Manson-type delirium, Bono says. And I find it hard to accept that whole millions and millions of lives, half the earth for 2,000 years, have been touched and felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. Some mad person, some crazy person. Now, never mind Bono, never mind Lewis. What about you? 
What about you? A story like the one we read today doesn't give us the cutesy option about Jesus. Either it's the worst news of all that Jesus is the very heart of what is sick and wrong with the world, a convincing, influential religious teacher, smooth talker who sowed seeds of that vile thing in the world called religion, or it's the best news of all. He's the rescuer. There really is something wrong with the world that is beyond human repair, something deeper that we cannot fix, something more dark even in our own hearts that we can't change or undo, we can't rescue ourselves from. That, that yes, if I'm honest, there are days when it feels like there's a strong man who has us in his grips, who keeps pulling us back to the same old things over and over again. And then we're thinking, God, how can this whole world change? How can my heart be different? And Jesus says, I've bound the strong man. Let's go plunder his house. Let's get people out. Let's tell them. Let's tell them. 